It hasn't happened yet. I have pissed off Isaac at the top of the podcast, but we have not been canceled. I'm Brian. I'm Carrie. I'm back only to rage quit on the pod. <laughs> this is Isaac. <laughs> We're joined today by uh, Ellie Singer, friend of the pod, uh, who is an extremely online Gen Z Episcopalian uh, from Houston, Texas. Well, currently lives in Houston. Yeah, I'm not from here. I couldn't claim Texan heritage. Hello, everybody. But you're passionate about Houston. And I am. Yeah, I, I mean, I would go as far as to say it's God's city. <laughs> but, you know. I, as, as a Fort Worthian, I kind of disagree. But uh, we wanted to have you on the pod because not only are you currently living in Texas, but you recently tweeted about Friday Night Lights, an incredible tweet. And today, that's what we're talking about. You know, I'm going to be honest, I do not remember my tweet. I am passionate about Friday Night Lights, yet I do not remember the tweet. It was something about, I can't believe the Bible includes a story about Landry murdering somebody. <laughs> oh, I did tweet that. Yes. Yeah. yes that's oh, God. <laughs> and I well, think about our... that. How Landry murdered somebody in the Bible. Yeah. Tale as old as time. <laughs> I will say, I think that's one of the last tweets I remember seeing before I quit Twitter and became even more powerful than I already was. Sorry <laughs> to all my uh, passionate fans out there who are looking for my rage tweets. They no longer exist. Yeah, one of my friends, one of my good friends, Andrew, was like, what happened to that guy? I looked him up on Twitter and he's just gone. He was, he was very disappointed. So, finished. Our tweets are but dust. Nothing but a force ghost in the pod universe. That's right. Um, you know, everybody's going to have a last tweet. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I should tweet imagine. That. You should tweet that out. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then I'll like hashtag it eschatology. <laughs> Start a discourse. Yeah, that's what we want. Uh, well, so we brought Ellie on to expound upon her uh, mid rash of the Friday Night Lights canon and. Part of the reason, some people have asked me, why would you want to do a Friday Night Lights episode? And it's because we had to harness the big Texas energy on this podcast before it overwhelmed everything. So Friday Night Lights, TV show, movie, book, uh, cultural phenomenon, making everyone outside of Texas roll their eyes hard as hard as possible. Um, And yet also loving it. So I first started watching... I mean, I saw the movie when it came out. I was late to the show. Brian is going to claim being an OG show fan. How did y'all get involved in Friday Night Lights? Well, you could say I lived it. Lived the Friday Night Lights as the only only actual Texan on this pod. But I also think I was too young because I don't think my parents would have let me watch uh, a show about teenagers having sex in 2006. So I watched it this, this past year, 2020. I watched the movie... I think also this past year, but I had actually read the book before I saw any of that five years ago or something. Yeah. And and we were, we should have done an over under about when uh, Carrie would have uh, dropped uh, Texas credibility. And it was three and a half minutes. Uh, So (laughs) if if people were playing along at home, that's what it was. Uh, For me, I, I read the book when I was in high school. Uh, because I'm old, as previously <laughs> mentioned. But I, I saw the movie when it came out as well. And I watched the, and like Isaac, even though I think he was trying to, 
Isaac was trying to uh, smirch my reputation here. But I did. I watched the first episode uh, because I had nothing else to do at the time and watched the first episode, was hooked, loved it, even got into a terrible like five-year, what was it, a direct TV contract to keep watching the different seasons. So I was was in from the start. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. It's still, uh, we ended up having to pay the uh, security, we lost a security deposit because I had a... uh, uh, a satellite dish attached to a <laughs> rental house without asking. So uh, I was in from the start, in on Friday Night Lights, willing to risk it all uh, for for Landry and others. Wow, Brian, the only person on this show, on this pod to watch the show week to week instead of binging it on a streaming service. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm a little intimidated. Yeah, I don't remember any of it though. So it's like, what's that? Crazy. Yeah. The level of commitment, it's crazy to me as someone who has never done that on the show. I know, but it's just like, this is like age thing though, right? Like this is where the age thing starts coming. It's like back in the day, youngins, there was only a way of uh, watching TV week to week. Yeah, I mean, I, so that's what it was. Or by the DVDs. Uh, no, go ahead, Gary. Oh, I was just going to um, say that I I was going to talk about the differences between the book and show and movie. So if you've got something else to say. I just had a snarky age comment that Brian read the book in high school the actual season that the book chronicles happened the year I was born. And then <laughs> Carrie Hodge was in high school the year that the show is happening. It's just like, it, we, this is truly a multi-generational pod. And, and uh, I'm so thankful that we can be intergenerational here. It's very important to me as everyone knows who's a faithful listener. Carrie, take us into the real content here. <laughs> well, I, I think what's interesting, I mean, I think it's good that we do have a range of ages to talk about this because I think that the difference between the Friday Night Lights book, movie, and TV show are actually kind of fascinating because the book is uh, really explicitly about race and class in Odessa, Texas in uh, like 1988, which is uh, everyone was in an oil bust. So there was like no jobs. The only people who lived in Odessa were the people who are actually from Odessa. Um, and if, I don't know, people who aren't from Texas don't know, but Odessa is like in the middle of the desert. It's in the oil patch. Like nobody lives there unless you're working in oil. And so I, the book is just like way more upfront about the tensions within this town and the ways that football interacts with those tensions. And as, uh, as, the, the story became more and more of like a cultural object and not like a social observation. I just, it was interesting to me the way that the race and class discussion kind of gets blurred or uh, done really poorly in the case of the TV show. I think there's one thing that uh, jumped out at me when you said the thing about how it became more of a cultural phenomenon. This is... There's another corollary here that I think is actually a pretty similar model where the book about Moneyball, that season with the Oakland Athletics, it's a very straightforward, not fictionalized account of like the day-to-day life of that season. And especially the way that the approach of the analytics is brought in that Billy Bean brings into baseball changes labor conditions or the way players are valued and all this stuff. And then it led to a movie version with Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean like that wasn't really interested in any of those things. So there's an interesting kind of cycle here about, you know, what's interesting about, you know, sports stories, especially in movies and uh, the way that some of those things kind of get ironed out. But yeah, so 
Just yeah, but I think it took a couple of iterations for Friday Night Lights to get kind of divorced from the race and class aspects mm-hmm. of the book, just because the movie uh, uses the actual names of the characters and like uh, kind of more directly engages with like these guys being piped up uh, in this tiny town in Texas um, and like the ways that they're kind of like have this outsized reputation for their, I mean, for their class status. Uh, in the case of Booby Miles, like, he was only good for something as long as he could play football. But then it took getting to like a serialized TV show uh, for those to catch those uh, threads to get thrown up the window, except for like a very special episode when <laughs> Mac does a racism in season one. All right. I, you know, I think, I think it's it, kind of like what you said, Isaac uh, and Carrie, but the book to the movie, that stuff starts to slip away. Like you said, I think it's still there, but I think if you, you have to, be looking for it in some ways. They do have that. There's the scene in the movie with the dinner party where there, it's, there's some pretty overt racist, racism that happens at the dinner party with the coach and the boosters talking about Booby Miles. But a lot of the stuff of like, and this is one of the reasons why I like the movie better than the TV show. I'll just drop it here. Not, not in some ways, but is because there is that sense of like, there's, there's an underlying sense of desperation, like in every single person. Like there's that part where they go to like the drive-in thing and, and the guy is like having him hold his baby. And he's like, get you, get you one of these, get you one of these. And it's like, this is like the only, like it's, they're setting it up for like, this is the only moment that these kids are going to have. And if they don't get it, it's over. And there's something like really sad about that that does not get transferred into the, into the, um, into the TV show, I think. But, but but I think that you see that that's a part of that. And when it, when you mo- lose that part of it moving into the series, that's kind of for me where the disconnect happens with the race and the class stuff. This is interesting because I haven't read the book or seen the movie. I'm going to be honest, I didn't know they existed. I watched Friday Night Lights, um, I guess it was two years ago now, when I was doing the Jesuit Volunteer Corps in Austin, which is what brought me to Texas in the first place. So our intentional community, we found out that the... Tasty Freeze, I think it's called, where yeah. a bunch of the kids in the show have jobs, was actually filmed at the Dairy Queen that was like around the block from our house. So oh, we're like, what? we have to watch this to celebrate this Dairy Queen. And so we binged it like every single night. It was a thing. Our intentional community would watch um, one of these episodes. And it's interesting to hear you guys have these takes about how like, um, I don't know, vanilla, maybe the the hot takes are on this show when our interpretation of it was like, we're really covering everything here. It's like one episode's about racism. Then the next one is about poverty. Then the next one's about abortion. And then they just like swing back and forth. And it was a wild roller coaster. So you're telling me that the book and the movie were even more wild. Don't forget murder. Oh yes. of course. One of the best subplots (laughs) of any of uh, Friday Night Lights murder. Um, How could we forget? How can we forget? (laughs) <laughs> well, the movie I, you know, does star Tim McGraw, so yes, somehow it is wilder than the TV show. <laughs> Tim McGraw is like the best part of that movie. I will fight for Tim McGraw on this pod, uh, but we'll get into it later. I, I think that that, see, but that what you're what you're talking about, Ellie, is really interesting to me because. I think that, you know, they they do do that, but I think it's because, and this is one of the reasons why I like the movie better, is because it's so much more encapsulated into an hour and a half or two hours or whatever it is. And so you just, Mm -hmm. I think it's just much more intense. Whereas when it is kind of when they do those episodic type of, you know, as Carrie said, uh, special uh, episode or whatever it was, um, you know, when they do that, it feels like it feels more one-off. And so I guess if you're 
maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just coming in from that like very intense experience of doing, of, of seeing it just like in one kind of this, you know, it's going to end here and not knowing what's going to come next in the TV show. Maybe that's part of it. But yeah, you're right. They do all, they get, they, they cover all kinds of crazy stuff. Evangelical Christians. Aren't they, don't, don't like the, the Riggins boys get involved with like the mob or something like when, they, when they're running. Mass dealers. Yeah, mass dealers. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy. This show has everything. Literally everything. Yeah. But for all of its craziness, I do think the, uh, part of the reason I think we wanted to talk about the show is that it says some, or it, it is trying to tell a, a, a story on TV about teenagers um, that encompasses a crazy amount of material like racism, uh, like teenage religion, which are topics that I think Isaac and Brian and I are generally pretty passionate about. So I to wrap it up, I think that's like why we wanted to talk about the show really is because we just have a lot of thoughts and we're going to make you listen. <laughs> <laughs> Hit that subscribe I, button. <laughs> I will say that, you know, one of the things about the movie just thinking about its cultural value, one of the main differences I think between the show and the movie precisely, I mean, this is sort of obvious, but because the movie is so heavily based in the world of the book, which is the an actual real world and place, it really feels like of the 80s, right? And And I think that whereas the TV show feels way more contemporary in its cultural stuff, like there are, you know, relevant connections that somebody watching now could really feel to it, whereas watching the movie, you are seeing 1988. Everybody's wearing acid wash jeans and have like Nike high tops and shit. So, but and the they other also thing did about, actually film in Odessa. So, I mean, like they're showing Odessa from the actual 80s. Yeah. And so I think that... But the other thing about it, I think that the movie gets into... And I'm sure this is partly from the book, which I haven't read. So we have like different sort of perspectives even from that on the pod. But... You know, if you're if we're talking about in a world that's obsessed with like sort of trying to understand the white Trump mind, I think the movie is a better thing to sort of investigate that than Hillbilly Elegy could ever hope to be. It certainly has more kind of like white working class malaise and existentialism at play than anything that J.D. Vance could come up with. So if, if you're looking for uh, more Hillbilly Elegy alternatives than... I submit the Friday Night Lights movie is a is a pretty good one, primarily because of one of the ways that football gets. I mean, and I think this is a significant difference from the show. Most of the poor characters in the show, if that's ever explored, it's not with the white characters. I guess Matt Saracen is the most particular one, and even there, it's not really about poverty for him as much as it is about caretaking for his his grandmother. Whereas in, in the show, most of the people that the, the sorry in the movie the most of the storylines that revolve around poverty are are white are, are white characters and specifically how football becomes kind of the only thing that their whiteness can afford them as like their cultural legacy or the legacy of their manhood or whatever else which goes into that boy Brian was making about how if they don't win the state championship then basically they have nothing to sort of like no claim to being real men in Odessa or having proven themselves or even having like enjoyed the moments that are afforded them before they enter the workforce and get and sort of get crushed by the realities of being broke as shit in West Texas. Or even just like the the weight of a town, right, that is probably not going to see is every every year might be worse than the last, uh, depending. 
is, you know, the weight of the town, right? Like, so if you don't do this, you're not only letting yourself down, you're letting everybody down. And so it's like this mark that's on you, you know, and it, I don't know, the movie, there's, the, there's two moments in the movie that really make me, uh, why I, why I like it better. It's one, when Booby Miles finds out that he isn't going to be able to play anymore and he starts crying and he's like, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? Which is what you're talking about. And that's just like, that's heartbreaking. But then there's the, the last one is the Tim McGraw at the end when he gives, so Tim McGraw is like kind of not a good dad uh, and his son does this really good thing at the end and he gives him his, spoiler, he gives him his championship ring at the end after they don't win. And like, to me, that's like, ah, so like that's everything. There, there's nothing that, I don't think there's anything in the TV show that comes close to either two of those moments. Discuss. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I, one of the things I have a question for the book readers, having just recently rewatched the movie, is that so it, as far as how race is discussed in the movie, in the movie, when they get to the state championship, they play a team, a black team from Dallas. Yep. And the like, it's really coded in the movie as like, this is a white team versus a black team. Yep. Is that the case also in the book? Is that the way it's set up? Yeah. So in the book, I mean, that was real. There was like, in the book, they get into it. There's like a very real racial controversy because they're playing this particular team. And I, I mean, like to, down to the point where they're like litigating what race uh, the referees are going to be because they, people from Odessa are convinced that black referees will give calls to the team from Dallas and the team from Dallas is convinced that white referees will give calls to the team from Odessa. I mean, it's like, they really get into it. They had to go to the, uh, like the UIL board. And like, I think maybe the Texas like Supreme court had to get involved. Like, I don't know. It was crazy. So yeah, that was real. It's in the book. Yeah. So it, well, it's just interesting because in the movie, you know, the, it, they really paint Dallas Carter, the black high school as like, flamboyantly mm -hmm. black and almost to a point that I think, you know, it's clear at that point that the filmmakers are telling the story from like the white perspective because, you know, the coach has a lollipop in his mouth during the game and like all the, the way that they present the cheerleaders and the players, it's like, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. So I wonder if the book has a sort of better lens on that, but, or a more objective one, but in the movie, it's, they're clearly telling it from, the sort of white perspective on this black team, this black coach, the controversies around race, even though the team from Odessa is like fairly racially diverse, like that kind of all gets washed away in the face of like, it becomes this, you know, even to the point where the Odessa team is wearing white uniforms in the state championship game, you know? So yeah, it's just like the, the Dallas Carter players are dirty. They're like, committing fouls after the play and, and they're celebrating every time they score. And like, anyway, I think that that's sort of, I think that generally the movie is better on race than the TV show, but it, but also it's because the TV show is so bad on it. It's not because the movie's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> if we want to yeah. like dig into it. Well, the, and for the book, it's, well, there's a couple things for the movie. You also have uh, a little bit of white saviorism with, uh, Billy Bob Thornton being like, why don't we do it at the Superdome or whatever it is uh, in Houston? And they're like, oh, that works. That works. And so like, there's that. In the book, the one thing that I remember from the book, because it's been a long time uh, since I've read it, was, you know, there, there was a lot of discussion about Booby Miles being in it for Booby only, which sounds inappropriate. But uh, anyway, but he, uh, but he was, <laughs> but he was in it for his, so like when he got hurt, you know, there was a sense of like, well, this, this might actually be better for the team because, you know, so there's, there's some weird stuff happening there. And the dude who wrote the book, uh, Bissinger, is that his name? 
Um, yeah, yeah. Bissinger. Yeah, like, I mean, because he was not, I guess, not pretty, very straightforward that this is what he was going to be writing about. And there's, I guess, different takes about whether or not he intended to do this or not, or he discovered it when he got there. But um, yeah, there are a lot of people that were really upset about the portrayal of race in in the book, um, which, <laughs> you know, he's, I'm assuming he was right. But anyway. Yeah, well, and he famously did go back to Odessa for like 20 years or something. After yeah, that. yeah. Well, we, we, we've managed to marginalize Ellie by only talking about the book and the movie. So I'm just so, learning here. I'm yeah. like, ooh, ooh, wow, interesting. Graduate education and Friday Night Lights. But I, I was going to wonder if we, we were going to start and then we got into this about talking about for the TV show because I think the TV show is where we all kind of, and I do love the TV show even though this is like my one Twitter hot take that I like to drop out every, every once in a while um, just, just to see who it gets. Um, but we should, I think we should start by talking about, let's bring it back to the TV show and talk about Who's favorite characters, characters we don't like, because I know there's going to be some disagreement on here. I know there's some people who are against the Church of Landry. Um, we'll, 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 let that, we'll let that organically come up. But uh, who wants to start? We want to do favorite or, or least favorite characters first? Ellie, why don't you start with your favorites? Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, favorites. Cool. Tim Riggins. Obviously. Tim Riggins. Oh boy. And Tim Riggins <laughs> are my favorite characters. <laughs> Next Tim question. Tim Riggins, Tim Riggins biceps, season two specifically. Yes, Tim, uh, Tim Riggins, Riggins in jeans is good. That's another good character. <laughs> yes. Tim Riggins um, curl staff and square tip boots. Yes. <laughs> this isn't all an objectification podcast. I, I genuinely... Tim Riggins squab. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely like Tim Riggins' character because he is... One of the only genuine antiheroes, he's not portrayed as like this ruined youth. Like he doesn't start out with like a clean sort of like innocent background and then is ruined by like the plot of Friday Night Lights, which I think a lot of the characters get. He like starts out ruined and then goes up and down and up and down. And like his arc is weirdly one of the more realistic ones. So his looks help but his character is really intriguing to me so part one of the characters we've been talking about in the movie in the book uh chad billingsley is basically tim riggins in the show except instead of um living with his brother he lives with his abusive drunken dad tim mcgraw we need like a roman gods to greek gods like yeah. comparison yeah. <laughs> chart for all these characters that's basically what it is yeah for sure and so but the funny thing is that a couple of People are recast like Tammy Taylor plays the coach's wife, except with bangs and terrible 80s clothes. And Buddy Garrity also plays a booster, but with a way better mustache. So there are some like overlaps here. I love Carrie, what, what about you? So no, this, this show is very weird for me because it's a show with a fair amount of female characters and almost none of them make it on my favorites list. Um, but I do, I love Tim Riggins. I love Tim Riggins. Uh, I love Tammy Taylor. I, I'm a lesbian, so I, I mean, Connie Britton, hello, call me. <laughs> but uh, I think it would probably go Tim, Tammy, and then Tyra. I really love Tyra's mm. arc. T-T-T. Texas. Uh, Perfect. Yeah, I second the Tyra love. She's the best character. And I think she has the best arc. Uh, and also, I, I think that... Um, Minus season two, which is insane. <laughs> but the way I think her storyline wraps up the best of any of them, frankly. But uh, 
And I would say Tyra. Is, sorry, this is time for me to drop my Taylor Swift hot take, which is that Tis the Damn Season is about post-season five, Tyra and Timberkins. Okay. Hey. <laughs> oh. Wait, wait, what is it? Is it a song or an the album? The song Tis the Damn Season off of the newest album, Evermore, can very easily be read as Tyra having made it out of Dylan and going back and seeing Timberkins. Just if you're a Taylor Swift fan, I'm just saying. Maybe. Everybody just left the podcast. I know, three you just minutes. lost all of the listenership for the rest of this. They're all listening to Taylor Swift now. Pause, pause the episode. Come back. <laughs> so glad that uh, I haven't been on Twitter because I've had so many um, bad like tweet drafts about the Taylor Swift albums in my <laughs> in my mind. Okay, but what are your favorite characters? <laughs> let's, let's not even go there. <laughs> Tyra, for sure. I, I think I've got to go with a couple of great characters from the last two seasons, but I'm going to say I love Vince. I think he's awesome. I think he's better than than a lot of the other characters. Almost, yeah, I don't know. I, I do like where they take Matt Saris and stuff, but yeah, I think Vince is uh, maybe, maybe my favorite character besides, I'm just going to say Coach Taylor. Yeah. For people who've seen the movie, 100% is like Gary Gaines' last speech would be so much better if it was if it was Coach Taylor doing it. It's just, However, like watching that, like I'm not inspired. Oh, come on. Come on. That, oh, Isaac. That, no, fuck. Sorry, Billy Bob. He's not bringing the heat. He, 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 he ad libbed that, though. He ad libbed that whole speech. So there's a little bit of respect for that. Like to be wow. in the moment. Oh, come on. Anyway, it's my turn. Stop talking. Uh, I, Fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I mean, mine, mine. I'm not going to add anybody to, new to the list. Uh, I, I kind of want to drop Landry just because I know where it'll go, but I, I won't. Uh, mine, yeah, Tyra, Coach Taylor. I mean, Coach Taylor is a fiction. I mean, but like, you know, he's a fictional dad, fictional um, football coach in, in all ways. I've never met anybody like him, but like, that's who I want, uh, you know, in, in those roles in my own life. And then I would, I would say Vince too. Like those three have, Vince and Tyra have the best, like, non-adult character arcs of the whole of the whole show just if you're talking about redemption or trying to get to their to their place but coach taylor you can't go wrong with coach taylor i mean per, it's like one of the most perfect casting and writing moments in tv history like no no question in my mind he's he's awesome awesome and i, I would throw in matt saracen maybe under under because matt saracen has some like sneaky good moments where he's 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 just playing that troubled kind of like moody i don't know what i want to do or who i am type of stuff um so i'll throw in a little Matt Saracen won my heart when uh, the episode, I think it's literally called, I think we should have sex. And he like just intuits that Julie Taylor is 15 years old and not ready to have sex and doesn't actually want to be in the situation, which won my heart. I was like, all right, Matt Saracen. Although the idea that a Texas high school football player in 2006 had an intuitive understanding of enthusiastic consent is a fantasy. That's simply not the truth. Yeah. I mean, also him and his, the episode where his dad dies, the son, is like one of the best episodes of the whole series, too, because it's just it's a great example. Ellie, you were talking about this of like where they're like, we're going to go in on grief and like what it looks like to lose somebody. And he goes through the whole range of like emotions, anger, everything in that. So, you know, you got to throw a little, little crumb toward Matt Saracen. Overall, one of the reasons I loved the show was because it was completely in culturally inaccessible to me. And yet, well, I mean, that's just because I grew up in the Bay Area in the mid 2000s. So it's uh, just completely different. Um, but like beyond it being, or I guess despite it being culturally inaccessible to me in a lot of ways, 
it took this ensemble of characters and like every week threw them into a weird headline-y situation and was like, okay, let's explore this extreme thing that you might see on the news. And it felt like they weren't afraid to like, I don't know, cliche, go there. But it was interesting to see just like very human situations. And that's why I tweeted about the Landry thing being in the Bible. And we need to talk about Landry. <laughs> We're going to talk about Landry. Okay. But it's yes. biblical. I my hot take is that Landry is my least favorite character above Herc, who is the undisputed villain of the show. Oh, okay. yeah, sure. Exactly. Now, is that because of the, what is it, second degree murder? <laughs> Weirdly, not because of the murder, but I'm interested in hearing your biblical take. Can I, can I just say real quick that I, I forgot to mention my actual favorite all-time character because I was trying yes, to, uh, is, is Billy Riggins. Billy Riggins is like the best character in the show. Oh. There it is. I love Billy Riggins. So there you go. All right, now back to Landry. Sweet, sweet Billy Riggins. Oh, the best. <laughs> okay, Landry and biblical nonsense. So I find Friday Night Lights to be like an ensemble cast, sort of like the Hebrew Bible. Like in, in the sense that like you're following this family and this small town as they're just like buffeted and God keeps showing up and going, ooh, oh, sorry. No, you're actually going to go to Egypt and that's going to be wonderful for you to, for a little bit. Oh, then it's going to suck real bad. And guess what? Leaving Egypt is going to suck even worse. And as all these main characters kind of playing off of each other and getting into trouble and like really intimate stories that add up into this bigger arc of trying to find some sort of freedom and trying to find good in a really messed up place. And so I felt like that Landry moment where he straight up murders a guy outside of like a 7-Eleven. Was it a 7-Eleven or a bar? It was a 7-Eleven. Yeah. Did he stab him? Was that the moment? No, he beats him to death with a pipe, with which a is pipe. worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he beats him Good death. Lord. That feels like it would be mentioned if you were writing a scripture of this small town. Right? Yeah, I, well, I mean, this is... To so all the critics, how do you like us now? It's perfect. How do you like us now? <laughs> to all the critics, this is why we're talking about it. Well, I just I think we it's worth pointing out that the second season was taking place during a writer strike, so it is not the normal writing team <laughs> of the show. Yeah, they... and that's one of the reasons why it's so batshit insane. Yeah, the great writer so it... strike of the mid two thousands that really threw off everyone's like every so was... TV show at that time. Yeah. yeah, so it's a bunch of scabs who gave us the Landry murders a guy storyline <laughs> listen god makes beautiful things out of muck so <laughs> thanks michael bogunger friend of the pod <laughs> michael bogunger come on the pod debate me about good and evil yeah come on <sighs> official friend of the show status if you come on um, well i love the idea of the the hebrew bible taking place in dillon texas i mean it's even in <laughs> i will say uh landry literally my least favorite character uh, not because of the murder, but because he is much like uh, Xander and Buffy. He is mm. just like an insert for Peter Berg. Like he's the insert for like the white nerd dude who wishes that his best friend was the quarterback in high school and that like he got to kiss a lot of girls. I just, Landry needs to take some tips on enthusiastic consent from his good buddy, Matt Saracen. It's he will just grab and kiss anybody. And he's kind of just a little shit who gets everything he wants. And his dad's a cop. So he doesn't, he literally gets away with murder. But and he's, there way, for, he's there for like five fucking seasons. Why is he there that whole time? 
in a way, isn't he the most realistic character then? I think, I actually think that Lila is the most realistic character, but we can discuss that later. Uh, yeah, I also have a candidate for the mo- most realistic character, and it's J.D. McCoy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Actually, or J.D. McCoy's dad, Texas, actually. That's actually correct. Yeah. Yeah, that is the truth about about high-profile high school football now, is that it's not like working-class kids pulling themselves up out of poverty. It's like rich-as-fuck assholes who can afford to go to every like Elite 11 training camp and all this crap. It's just that the J.D. McCoys of the world are the top recruits now because they have the money that it takes to become an Elite Division One prospect. So he's not only the most annoying character, but he's also sort of the death of the kind of spirit of Friday Night Lights that the show purports to even be about. Like it, the, the heart of it has been kind of ripped out of its chest by the J.D. McCoys and taken away from the Tim Riggins or the Chad Billingsleys or the Vince Howards. Like Vince Howard, in some ways, his character is just totally unrealistic because, I don't know, you just don't, like these well, days, you just don't he like... Have, he wouldn't have made it out of the juvenile system, realistically, like that he starts in at the beginning of the fourth season. Well, isn't he like... Yeah, I mean, that or you just don't like walk onto a football field now and like suddenly are yeah. amazing without spending a decade, you know, being elite, elitely trained to do it. Yeah, isn't like the first scene or one of the first scenes of him like running from the police? Yeah, and like, realistically that ends in his death. So right. it's like, ugh, let's not. Yeah, I mean, I'll put in, I'll, I'll just be take the contrarian position with Landry. I think what you're, all you're saying is, is, is fine. I think he's, he's, I think if you're going to have Matt Saracen be who Matt Saracen is the, as the character, you need to have somebody like Landry that like they pull on each other a little bit. I mean, some of the funniest parts of the show is, is where like where is where they're having like dialogue back and forth, in my opinion. So there's I that. I don't have an issue with Landry like being around for Matt Saracen. I think that he gets way too much screen time, considering how boring of a character he is. I agree. But his I agree. one-liners. Yes. And there's also no way in hell that Tyra is dating Landry. Yeah, that, yeah that's, no, a, that's a huge no. one. Well, high school is weird. High school is no, weird, I'm but sorry. like Landry is like <laughs> having sex with in his car with someone in the marching band, not Tyra. Yeah, not Tyra. <laughs> Who is downgrading from Tim Riggins to Landry. Yes. Oof. And it's and, a steep fall. Well, and this is where this is where they is this why they have the murder plot? I don't think it is. But is that is that like the thing that like fused them together? They could never get apart from this this traumatic thing they went through. Uh, yeah, that, no, one hundred percent. When they have sex the first time, it's like it's a pity. It's a pity lay for Tyra. One hundred percent. Like that's the way that they play it off. As far as I remember, like I said, I've tried to block out season two, but they 100% make it seem like Tyra is like, well, he saved my life, so I guess I owe him or some shit. I don't know. Do you all, do you disagree, Gary or Ellie? Is it the same people writing Friday Night Lights during the writer's strike as Lost? Because they give me the same vibes of like, yes. okay, we need this to happen. What is the most ham-fisted dramatic way that we can get there in maybe 15 minutes? Because uh, I'm only on the clock for so long. I gotta get my. I gotta I get do my want to get to there. worse characters because eventually we need to get to the Trump question. And I, uh, yes. we're forty five minutes in. So worst characters, Ellie. Who are your worst? Oh, I'm unprepared. Someone else go first. Uh, well, I've already gone, but I would also like to add that Hercules, the uh, wheelchair bound oh. man that is friends with Jason Street for like three freaking seasons, mm. he's the worst. He's not good. 
It's Jason Street for me. He is the absolute worst. <laughs> Hot take. There it is. Oh, coming in strong. His, his, <laughs> his whole arc is just absolutely nails on a chalkboard yes. the entire time. And I and I guess I would say Lila is one B. She's awful. She's terrible. See, I like Lila. Mainly because she, Lila most likely to call me a dyke in middle school. Yes. Okay. Fair. <laughs> yeah. She's just. But Jason Street, like his whole his relationship with the with the woman he he sleeps with and and knocks up is just so uncomfortable. Like, and then. I don't know. Just get Jason Street out of my life. When they go to Mexico for him to have experimental <laughs> surgery and he like wheelchairs himself off to the back of a boat. And he labors the fuck out of that boat. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's like, it's levels of absurdity that are only capable if you have scat brain. I'm sorry, but it's just ridiculous. You have to be a pretty bad character for you to say, I'm going to go to Mexico for experimental surgery. And for me, the viewer to say, I don't care. <laughs> yes, that, yes. That plot doesn't. I'm gonna fast forward through that. Like I fast forwarded through Frodo walking the ring or whatever. Like not interesting. You, but here's the thing: is like the only good part about that scene is the, are are the Tim Riggins. It's like it's like basically just yeah. scene setting for Tim Riggins to come down there and do Tim, Tim Riggins shit. Like that's that's the only reason to watch those any of that part. <laughs> yeah, Riggins and we watched part of Lord of like the Rings for Samwise, yeah. but we are not yes, there. Yes. For the little whiny baby. Right. <laughs> so funny. Uh, mine would be probably, oh God, I don't want to say it, but I, I really, I get annoyed with Julie uh, a lot in the show. Mm-hmm. So I'd probably add Julie. Julie only exists as like a plot device for other people. Right. And that's, so that's I understand that. probably what, what it is. I mean, the real, <laughs> Herc is pretty bad. Um, I don't mind Lila, but you know, Carrie, you're, you're, uh, your thoughts on that sway me. So she probably is terrible. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm probably going, That's I'm, I'll probably go with Julie just to be di- different. We haven't mentioned Buddy yet either, by the way. So it's, at some point we have to have a Buddy Garrity. Oh, I think no, I'll probably I come up him. with a truck. Well, oh, I, I, too. I think another round we should go is who do you think the most realistic character is? Wait, did Ellie? I don't think it's the same as the worst or the best. Did Ellie answer? Oh, the worst character? Yeah. I was going to say Lila, and then I remembered the existence of Julie. <laughs> Um, so thank you for bringing her up. The choice to just sort of like show up in Chicago is one of the most chaotic, horrible, like even a teenager, even a teenager. And, you know, we all remember making really strange hormone driven decisions. Like there's so much you're on a plane, you got to get to the airport. Like you're, you're thinking about this. You're putting in so much logistical planning it's post 11 You had to like get your little baggie of liquids. <laughs> yeah, she had to like think about the way she was packing for this excursion, right? I don't know. She definitely existed for other characters and the the writers never explored her actual like motivations as a character. So it's not that I hate her as a person. It's just, I don't think she's a real person. Yeah. The most realistic thing she did as a sidebar is when she crashes her car into that mailbox. And my brother did the exact same thing in high school in my car because he was texting his girlfriend. Totaled my car. I will say that I exact same speed. (laughs) I will say that I I disagree a little bit that that she doesn't have like a point. It's her character is so annoyingly obsessed about going to college. (laughs) And I think that there are plenty of people in high school that are like that, but also she's just like 
I want to go to UCLA. I, the best part of the series for Julie Taylor is when she gets bitch slapped in the, in the library. <laughs> but that brings me to another like awful character in the show, which is the TA who is like, oh. sleeps with her. It was just yeah. ridiculous. Like that whole thing. The only good part about it is when he shows so it. much time with him. I, yeah. That, like he comes back to Texas so many times to like try to get her to whatever. The only good thing about that whole storyline is when Coach Taylor busts out his yes. tail. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's some weird like, I'm going to bring a gun to my daughter's first date vibes with that, but I still appreciate it. So, um, Yeah, I, I don't love Coach Taylor's relationship to his daughter having sex, which actually yeah. makes me less inclined to like Coach Taylor, which is why he doesn't make my top like favorites list because uh, I just don't love his vibe around the way he's raising his family. Yeah, but at the same time, this is like, okay, yeah, that is 100%, yes. But I think also, like, that's, I think it's stuff like that uh, that that actually makes Coach Taylor uh, a little bit more believable because otherwise he's just like this perfect dude who knows exactly what to say at the exact right time. I mean, he does a lot of stupid shit. Like, he leaves and goes to, what, uh, does he go to UT? Whatever that is. TMU. TMU, TMU, right? But, but it's supposed to be UT, right? Like a failing yeah. football program. No, I think it's supposed to be SMU. I well, know. I'm just, I'm just trying to carry crap. I think they were like, like I, I just recently watched the first season with my brother. So I think at the end of the first season, they like say he's got an interview at UT. But then they were like, oh crap, we can't actually like film on the UT right. campus. So we got to make up the school. Oh. Because, but later, like, Smash ends up playing for Texas A&M. So, like, Texas and Texas A&M exist in the Friday Night Lights universe, but SMU does not. It's TMU. And they're in the same conference as the Blue Chip Basketball uh, uh, Colleges. If you're... Well, they make up a bunch of colleges. Like, yeah. Smash visits oh. Oklahoma Tech. Oklahoma Tech. Right. National powerhouse. Uh, so, Carrie, we were, usually we we're going to talk about most realistic characters now, next, which is different, right? Yes, because I... I feel like I'm talking a lot on this podcast, so I'm going to make my case here and then shut up. But You I have like a hometown candle behind you that just has like a giant silhouette of Texas. Like, I know, it's a I think power you're move. allowed to have some opinions that's here. Like a, it's like a total power move. I saw that. I was like, oh, Carrie came to play today. This All is right. just my decoration. <laughs> like, that's just how that is. Um, but I think that the most realistic character on Friday Night Lights is Lila Garrity, and here's why. Lila Garrity starts out as a cheerleader who is in love with the quarterback and is going to have this perfect little life and has her entire life planned out. And like, I knew a lot of girls like that in high school. Cheerleaders are not like, you know, you're in this super committed relationship in high school and you think you're going to get married and you kind of subsume your entire relationship into this teenage love story. And then her arc kind of, I think that Lila's arc at its base is about like, um, her inability to like have a relationship with God and also have sex and like sex. <laughs> like, I think that I just knew a lot of girls like her in high school who were like definitely having sex and then feeling really guilty about it and going in these waves of like getting really into Jesus and then like having more sex with her boyfriend because she really enjoys that. And then eventually going to college and living her life and not having that perfect little, I'm going to live in Dillon, Texas with my quarterback husband for the rest of my life because that's not how life actually works. I just think that she's a very realistic character. Oh, I think I think Tyra comes back to Dylan. I think Tyra after college lives in Dylan again, but we can come we can come back I'm to sorry. We, we have, start. I been saying, have I been saying Tyra? Because I'm talking about oh, Lila. I meant Lyra. Sorry. I was I was looking at something else. Uh yeah. 
that's what I meant. Um, for me, I, I we kind, I've kind of already, I've, I was going to agree with you on that one, but now I can't. After thinking about JD, like his dad Joe, that that's my answer because his dad Joe is just like everything you want to hate about the you know the sports parents, uh, especially the ones like like him. So I don't need to say any more about that because we already kind of covered him. But he's he's my pick. I feel my like I'm is- not qualified to have a pick here. I did not grow up in this high school like at all. Uh, football was just football. We also cared more about like soccer. It did like this didn't exist. Like cheerleaders did exist. We our advanced dance team was like more of like a cheerleader squad. It was just a, a completely different planet. Well, and I think that uh, that's also something interesting that about Friday Night Lights is that even though it's being made in the mid two thousands, like they uh, violate UIL rules like left and right, like. <laughs> They're operating in like the 1980s version of Odessa when like actually um, there are a bunch of plot points where like the entire program had gotten shut down because they were like violating a bunch of rules that existed by the mid-2000s. But we don't have to get into it because that's minutia. As like, who's your most realistic character? The freakish looking second Taylor baby. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, ugliest baby on television Oh ever. no! <laughs> She looks like an alien. I mean, seriously and truly a hideous child. Anyway, um, no, I would say, oh man, I mean, it's got to be Buddy. Like, there, Buddy Garrity yeah. is so real, like, but also so good. He's, but also I think that uh, Luke Cafferty's mom is a, is a potential oh. choice as well for like just psycho points and the whole pro-life culture that permeates evangelicalism all over the Southeast. So there, there are both realistically good and realistically horrifying characters. And then there's the Taylor baby, Gracie. <laughs> so I have a question for y'all. And this is like a cultural learning moment for me because I grew up in an extremely secular, extremely liberal environment where like we found out that a couple kids in middle school, their parents were voting for Prop 8 like against gay marriage and we bullied the shit out of them. Like, like that was not okay. Actually to the point where like, I feel sorry for them because they were just children, but like how realistic was, I don't know, like the social conservatism or social progressive moments in the show. And like, how realistic was church life? I have no bearing on what was TV and what was real. Oh man. Well, uh, Specific to Texas, the church life was actually kind of interesting to me, like depicted in the show, because, well, I I mean, obviously in the show, they needed to like show that there was both racial segregation, but also have all the characters like in one place on Sunday morning so they can all be in the shot. Um, But I think the most accurate representation of church in the show was actually in season two. So sorry that you blocked it out, Isaac, but... (laughs) Uh, Lila gets really into a mega church Mm. and a kind of charismatic evangelical church, which a ton there. I grew up close to Gateway, which is one of the biggest churches in the country. The Jones Brothers went there while I was in high school. And uh, like tons of people from my high school went there, but their parents didn't like teens might go drive over to Gateway with their friends, but lots of parents were at like churches like the Taylors go to, like kind of smaller, maybe Baptist churches that they their family went to and they've been going to. And then 
and it is also very racially segregated, right? But that's true everywhere. Yep. I mean, but there are, so there are three different churches in the later seasons. So the Cafferty's go to the evangelical church in town. The Taylors are mainline for sure. And then there's the black church that uh, Vince goes to with Tinker. And Smash. So I, I mean, I would say that it's, that reality is more socially conservative than the show. I mean, the whole storyline about with Tammy Taylor helping Becky get an abortion, I think is really realistic. Uh, she absolutely would have been run out of town for that in anywhere in uh, the Southeast or in Texas. Um, and as far as like vocally in the 2000s being against gay, you know, gay marriage or abortion or any of that, ex- people are extremely vocal about that now where I live. So uh, that's not changed. And so I think that would be a good transition uh, in a second to the the big question of the pod, which is who um, among the Fire Friday Night Lights uh, characters would be a Trump supporter. Uh, but before that, I think one of the things that's interesting to me about this is I played high school football. I have a lot of complicated opinions about that. Uh, and one of the things that I think the show does really well the fiction part of it is the way that most of the coaches act. Like Coach Taylor, I have never met a coach like that. They are always in it for themselves. They don't care about their players. Uh, come at me, fine, whatever. But anyway, um, but the, the sense of like, for lack of a better term, brotherhood, like that sense of like that cohesive unit of like, I know I can count on these people. Like, I think that's real. Now that gets, that becomes something that becomes pretty toxic pretty quickly in a lot of, in a lot of communities. Um uh, and I think you see that in the in the um, in the movie, especially. But you know, I, I still have like really good friends that I have that I don't agree with on anything. But we played football together, and it's like this. There's this weird connection to that, and so I think they do the sports part of it really, really well. Um, and not just that the the kind of interpersonal stuff, but also just the the filming of it. Most like football movies are terrible because they just the person who's done it has never watched a football game in their life. This is actually most of the football stuff. Like I can't remember is it season two or three where they're down twenty seven nothing. And they come back and then lose. Like, that's the highlight of the whole series for me. Like, that is, like, one of the best, like, sports mo- moments across any kind of medium. So, anyway, uh, that, that, that's what it would be for me. Uh, do we want to turn to the Trump question? Because I, I, Just, I, one, more, just oh, one more thing to add for Ellie as far as the culture down here. In my high school, there was always a prayer over the loudspeaker before yes. the game. And it was a huge honor to get picked as a pastor in the area to say the prayer. <laughs> was and it a public our, school? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a we had a moment of silence every morning, and the, like depending on the day, they would either call it a moment of silence or a moment of prayer. <laughs> after we and, said after we said both the, the pledge of allegiance and the pledge to the Texas flag, which we said every nice. Sunday morning. That is something yes. I've learned about here. Yeah, I know a five year old who's like just went to kindergarten, and her parents are like, "I'm sorry, what?" <laughs> oh. Yeah. Welcome. And then if you, yeah, were, if you and, like and Isaac, my high school's yeah. mascot was a racial slur against indigenous people. Yes. So, and it still is. Ours was too. Uh, not my high school, but the other one in the district, theirs was as well. And it's on a water tower in the middle of town. Mm. A, non, a non-functional water tower, I might add. They keep it up just for the racial slur. Love decorative racism dominating so, the skyline. So much of it in our country. Yes. Ugh. Well, yeah, that. Let's get to the Trump question. What um, what character would be a Trump supporter? Or characters. Yeah, or characters. <laughs> I think we just need to go through like one at a time and, and debate with the most likely or something. Because I think that the answer, I don't know. It's it's complicated. Well, let's start, let's Billy start with... Billy Riggins. 
Billy Riggins probably is, unfortunately. Wait, wait, are we sure that Billy Riggins votes? I mean, I think Ooh. this is the question. Like, which of think, them even vote? Well, I think yeah, Trump, Trump. I don't think either of the Riggins boys votes. I think that Billy Riggins owns a MAGA hat. I think that Trump right. Riggins is so disconnected from the news that he doesn't even know. <laughs> Yeah, I think Tim Riggins has no clue. Billy probably is a Trump supporter, but he does not vote. Yeah, I like that. Good, good. What about, so I, I think the big, do we want to start with the smaller characters or start with the, the big ones? Let's go, go for the big ones. I mean, oh, okay. I think, it, which, which Just one ignore the small characters. Okay. Uh, We're going to debate. I mean, so for me, the big one, and I put this out on Twitter a couple years ago and got flamed for it, but is, is Coach Taylor. Coach Taylor, Trump mm. supporter, yes or no? I... Uh, I am 100% team Taylor Trump voter. I think, I think so that too. Tammy voted for Hillary. I think that Coach Taylor voted for Trump. Yep. See, I actually think Tammy's a Trump voter. Really? Ooh. Oh, see, I don't think yeah. I. Oh, I don't. That, mm. Mm, mm. Sorry, but. The uh, the emails thing, I could see her getting very hung up on that as a person that's passionate about administration. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think you're you're the example. I could just see her be like, I hear you about Trump, but her emails. <laughs> yeah. Well, we also have to talk about are are we talking about 2016 Trump voter or 2020? Because those are also two uh, different things have happened. Things have transpired. I think 2016. Like I think that. 2020 is just too far away from the ending of the show yeah. for us to like fully know how, how those characters would have. Well, and because they're, and yeah, yeah, I think 2016. I mean, I, I, I would push back. Gosh, because don't you think like Tammy's like basic empathy towards the students would, maybe not, I don't know. I mean, I, I can see Coach Taylor because I can see Coach Taylor is a bootstraps, you know, work hard, no nonsense type of type of person. And we've seen this kind of like cognitive dissonance uh, where, you know, he has, he's, he's coaching in Philadelphia now or whatever. And he, he coached East Dillon, but like he's able to separate that out from everything else that Trump was saying. So that, that's kind of my place. I don't want that to be true, but that's, that's kind of where I land on it. Well, I, I think this year has been an interesting test case in this because Here's here's if you're gonna if you're gonna say that Taylor is not a Trump voter, then I think the context would have to be his own awareness of his reliance on on black athletes to win football games and championships. We've seen all of these coaches like Nick Saban, um, a new member of the uh, Magisterium, according to Peter Lightheart, <laughs> Master Catechist, <laughs> yeah, uh, prefect for the doctrine of the faith. I don't know what the fuck it's called, but you know. Nick Saban and all these other coaches who clearly do not give two shits about racial justice leading Black Lives Matter marches on their campuses uh, over the summer because they know that if they don't, they can't recruit as well. So I guess I'm wondering if like Taylor seems to have that own self-preservation thing. Either that, I that would be the only way I guess that at least, you know, you could say that he would say, all right, be like, okay, I just can't vote for Taylor. I can't vote for Trump, but... Oh, I fully believe that Nick Saban voted for Trump both times and did, and just like led the Black Lives Rally, like just for recruiting. Like, I think that man definitely voted for Trump two times in a row. I think it's interesting. Nick Saban is definitely the most powerful political force in Alabama. I mean, if he had like, if he said, don't vote for Trump, people, or else I'm going to like take a job somewhere else, all of Alabama would have voted for Clinton or Sorry, go ahead, Ali. I feel like if this were, I'm trying to imagine what the episodes would be in the show. And it would be like a couple episodes of ARC where um, he's like so torn up about the election. Really, he's saying things like, 
I just wish that it weren't driving us all apart. Like he'd be one of those unity people. And then maybe in episode one, he's convinced by some students, probably ham-fistedly smash, like, like, oh, maybe I need to leave my roots behind a little bit. And then the second one, he's convinced by, oh no, what's his name? Lila Garrity's dad. Buddy. Buddy. Yeah, Buddy comes in and he's like, come on, man. Like, you got to stand up for the little whatever. And then uh, it cuts to him, like, entering the voting booth. And then we never know. Oh, yeah. I feel like he he could go anyway. The arc would definitely involve, like, a lot of, like, a blowout fight with Julie. I was just about to say that. Yes. Well, and yes. you, they I was would, just about to say that Julie would definitely be like Team Hillary, and it would end up having they. She would end up converting him if it happened. Well, and also you would have the Buddy Garrity. Like I'm a small business owner, and I, we got to keep the. We got, we're trying just trying to keep Dylan alive. You don't have a job unless I have my thing. So, so they would they would play into that too, of course. Mm-hmm. But he loses his job. Does he lose the, the dealership? I forget. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and all of Lila's college money. Oh, right, right. How could I forget? Poor Lila. Because they, and then he gets in a fight in strip club, which was a fun. The landing strip. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. I will say this though, because I think one of the interesting things about this, why we can even debate about Taylor, is that his character is completely apolitical. Hmm. Yeah. Like Tammy has all these political storylines, and he doesn't have a single one. And. I mean, I think that speaks to the ethos of the show, which is that they are trying to keep sports co- apolitical. Like, even Smash's storyline where he gets all of the Black players to boycott until Mac loses his job in season one is really, it's smoothed over in two episodes and it ends with the Black players not even really getting an apology and kind of getting explained to that, like, he's not actually racist. He doesn't have a racist bone in his body. Um, without even like a real apology for saying like a really offensive thing. Like the the show really wants football to just be football and for people to shut up and play. Mm-hmm. Well, and also he defends them against the cops, right? Yeah, it's like he won't let the cops on the bus so that the cops can't like go do a hate crime. Yeah, so they can't lynch smash basically. Yeah. <laughs> Probably secretly very political because he is a political person. He plays the political game, right? He understands. He's just also knows that it doesn't fit his brand to say anything to anyone and just kind of like have individual conversations with people. I will say that he's extremely anti-media. It's almost hilarious how much he hates the Texas football media. Here's a take. I think that he could easily be a Trump supporter, but I also think he could easily be a leftist. And I think it's just a matter of who has that conversation with him about like, what is the anti-establishment way to be good in the world. Yeah, I just I don't, don't know. think that he could ever get there. I genuinely don't think I that. think he could. I just don't have enough faith in white men. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's also a good take. <laughs> Fair enough. I just don't think the show ever, I don't think the show gives us enough data intentionally. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, pessimism, fully welcome. On his account. I mean, so what about some of the younger people like Landry or Matt Sarrison or Tyra? I think Matt, I don't think, I, I don't, I don't think you could make the claim. I think Matt actually comes back to Dylan and is, he's the one, uh, well, no, never mind. I, I was going to do some fan fiction. I think Matt is a no. Other thoughts? It's a no, like he doesn't vote for Trump. I don't think he votes for Trump. I don't think there's any way. After going to Chicago for yeah, school. I don't really see that yeah. for Matt. 
Landry is a toss up because I think he could go to college and find his groove and become like a really insufferable economic student, you know? Or a cop. <laughs> he could become a cop. Totally. I mean, he could also become a cop, I think, pretty easily. He, he you yeah. know, gets out of school and ends up back in Dillon and suddenly he's pulling Matt Saracen over for suspected weed. I'm, I'm, I'm going again. <laughs> I've thought about a lot of these storylines, so never mind. Have you written them? Are they on fanfiction.net? No, not yet. Archive of our own, maybe. I'll drop. I'm I'm waiting to start a Substack, so just wait for it. (laughs) But isn't Landry supposed to be like Ivy League dude? Is he? I don't remember. Yeah, his whole thing is he's the valedictorian. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Full disclosure: I went to a frou frou East Coast school from a liberal place, and then became an economics major and joined the Young Republicans Club. (laughs) Like that's a path. Wow, wow, wow. I can see Landry I can see Landry working at the NSA or something because he's like a math dork. So he's like piloting drones remotely or some shit from a bunker in in Langley. I can see that. That's good. See, okay, but Tyra, I think Tyra actually votes for Hillary because she gets out, but she specifically she goes to UT, which is also my alma mater. And UT in Texas is the like you go there if you're going to become a godless liberal like that's what that's the reputation and i actually found ut to be a much more conservative place than like anyone in my hometown made makes it out to be but mm-hmm. i think that tyra goes there and like is opened up to a world outside of dillon texas that she hadn't really found possible and gets really passionate about like helping people who came from her situation. And yep. I think that leads to her voting for Hillary. Yep, 100%. I mean, smash, no question, right? I agree about Tyra. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah. Smash is definitely now, he's like a Colin Kaepernick figure yeah. in it, at like A&M. Yeah. And so he de- he'll definitely get kicked off the team. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, fuck A and M. That's the official stance of this pod. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow, wow. Luke, uh, I forget Luke's last name. All of a sudden, Luke Cafferty, hundred percent Trump voter. Trump, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Rural farm boy. Yeah. Um, also, this is one of the interesting things about the show that never really gets explored at all is anything about immigration, and that would be the most revealing sort of data point for most of these characters in Trump. They, no, Santiago's there in season two. <laughs> and is immediately forgotten as quick as possible. Yeah, Santiago arrived. Oh, we also, we forgot about, what's his name? Um, the quarterback, who's the coming from uh, Katrina. Voodoo yeah. Tatum. Voodoo, yeah. Voodoo Tatum. We forgot to, anyway, just a little shout out to Voodoo. Lila. A little shout out. A little, just a little shout out. <laughs> we, we can't go back. We'll sprinkle it in. Just want to give, just want to give, give him a little love. Uh, Lila Garrity. I mean, is there a question? 100% Trump. 100% yeah. Trump, I She's agree. like a, like a low-key Trump voter. Like, she, she, she lets people think that she voted for Hillary. I don't know. I feel like she might be, like, the type who's, like... I mean, are we talking about them... I, see, I'm confused with the game. Are we talking about them in high school or, like, as they have aged out of high school and they would be real-time age in 2016? What are we talking about here? She it's, does not get better over time. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm saying. That's what I was saying. That was exactly what I was saying. It's worse. Yeah. No, no, that's what I was saying. It's like, I don't think she's going to. I think she shows up with a bedazzled Trump T-shirt that, you know, and, and a hat and everything, whatever. The sexy Trump T-shirt. Uh, how about Jason Street? This, I think Jason Street's a tough one, actually. Oh, before we move on to Jason Street, I just want every—I just want everyone to know that Lila Garrity is definitely a low-key anti-vaxxer now. That's where she's at. Hundred percent. But yes. on the right side, not the left side. 
Because they yeah. come around into a full circle. Oh, yeah. And they switch on the other side. She, like, goes to college at Vanderbilt and, like, she gets married to, like, some rich dude and they live in Brentwood and... Teaches they Pilates. Definitely, and she, she's, she's an anti-vaxxer now. Yeah, I can see that. So Jason Street? I don't know. I don't even care. <laughs> it's like the It's like the experimental surgery thing. It's like, I can't bring myself to even put the puzzle pieces together. All right. The thing about Jason Street is that realistically he's like dead before the 2016 election because <laughs> he gets pneumonia. <laughs> oh. Okay. And I don't mean to sound morbid, but the actual person that the character of Jason Street was based on died at like 21 because he got pneumonia and people who are paraplegics like and quadriplegics like often die from that because they can't cough. It's a whole thing. Mm. So anyway, the person who he's based on died very young. And so I think part of the downfall of his arc is that he's a horrible character, but also because he like increasingly is out of touch with reality. <laughs> uh, so what about, uh, we, we haven't talked about Jess either. Jess uh, Merriweather from uh, East Dillon, Journey Smith. Also I don't remember her at all. I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't remember is. her. Oh, she's the uh, I'm sorry, I don't girlfriend. Know her. Oh, Journey Smollett. Yeah, Journey Smollett. Yeah, she becomes a coach. She has low-key one of the better arcs. Yeah. Especially because it starts with her dating Landry and then she moves on. Yeah. <laughs> Again, another woman who would not touch Landry with a 10-foot pole. No, no choice. No Listen, chance. sometimes the class clown pulls off amazing stunts. Ellie's, We've all seen it happen. Ellie's repping uh, Landry hard in this episode. I, I, I'm glad because I, I would have bowed down before the, the hot uh, anti-Landry take. So I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> did we do Julie? Oh, yeah, we Ellie's said Julie. Ellie's got Crucifictorious merch. We haven't even mentioned Crucifictorious. I have a t-shirt. I'm the not going to show it, though. Best worn it. ever death metal band out of, Den- out of Dylan. Christian Out of Denton. That's why Brian likes Landry, because he wishes that he had been in Crucifictorious as a high schooler. I wish I had come up for it for one of my books, because I think I think that is like a highlight of of, of like just writing. It, it's so good for, to me. So anyway, I, who did we miss? Like Becky, well, another small character. We've been going on for a little while, so maybe we want to wrap it up here. I want to go through all the entire. I want to get to like season, like just one episode uh, drop characters, see if they would do it. All right, that's fine. Hastings Ruckle. I don't even remember who that is. I'm looking up characters now. Uh, Anybody remember Hastings Ruckel? No. no. Yeah, he's the he's the California transplant that they convinced to uh, play football in season in season five. Oh, so there's still someone to throw the ball to. Yeah. Right. Are you a genius or something? How do you remember that? <laughs> I just I can remember dumb things about movies and casting and characters and basically nothing else. You should have just been like yes. Yes, just a solid mindset. And then we cut the pod right there. It's done. No, my mom one time after I like recalled a random actor from a movie from the like that we had watched 15 years ago, looked at me and said, "Just imagine if you had been able to apply that kind of brain power to math in high school." Oof. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Well, now you can win trivia contests and get like I don't know beer. I did, and before pre-COVID, I uh, had was on a very very good trivia team. There we go. Uh, Who needs math? That's right. Fuck math, which is why I hate Landry. (laughs) (laughs) Full circle. Perfect. Can we just uh, all agree that uh, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose is an incredible mantra? Yes. It is. Oh, we've talked about Texas forever. Come on, Carrie. I love Texas forever. I do too. Okay, I will say I did start. So the the first episode is like a perfect episode of television. And when... 
Tim Riggins first says, Here, like, here's to God and football and 10 years from now, good friends living large in Texas. Texas forever. I was alone in my shitty rat hole apartment in New York City and it was so fucking cold outside and I started bawling. <laughs> like I was just like full on bawling because I was like Texas forever. Yeah, perfect. And uh, maybe that's why we wanted to talk about this is just because I incepted it into your minds. <laughs> it's our pod. That big Texas energy. Yeah, there it is. One last question because I hear people talk about this a lot but Many people regard Friday Night Lights as one of the best television series of all time. Does it get anywhere close to that for y'all? It's my favorite TV show of all time. I've watched it probably 11 times straight through. So, wow. 10 maybe. Can't get my wife to watch it, but it's, I don't think it's the best TV show ever, but it's probably, it's my favorite. And for all the reasons we've talked about. So, there you go. Mm-hmm. I exclusively watch bad TV. Like, I have not seen any prestige shows. Um, they are very boring to me, but I don't think it's, the best TV show of all time. Mm-hmm. I really love it. I have also now watched it with several people who like did not love it the way I do. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it's the best TV show of all time is my answer, I guess. I think it's great to watch with people, like to, to talk about it, like we did today. It's a very talkable show and like water cooler conversation. Like, oh, what did you think of this? This like crazy thing happened. Um, but it hasn't necessarily aged well because. I mean, it is bingeable, but you binge it and then you forgot everything that happened because it was just so jam-packed. And I also feel like it's a TV show you need to talk about. So, yes and no. I think Uh, it was great, but maybe not for 2020. 2021 now. I have to say that I have a late uh, worst character on the show. And... It's taken this long because I've discerned to the right one. And it's epic in season five. Her character arc with Tammy is so awful. And they're clearly like struggling to find anything to give Tammy to do in that season. It's just terrible. Absolutely awful. One of the worst minor characters on the show, 100%. Wait, who is it? I don't think you said who it was. I remember. Epic. Her name is Epic. Oh, oh, Epic. Oh, I thought, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. What was this? Yeah. She was like uh she was like a foster child who was like acting out, but then it turns out that her foster mom was actually nice. It's a it's not a very compelling Oh, character. I blocked that out of my memory. Yeah. Also of all the other to- all the other teachers at East Dillon suck. They're awful. Yeah, the well the interesting thing about <laughs> we don't have to talk about this. <laughs> it's just the interesting thing about them opening East Dillon is that uh, I actually went to a high school that was open like as an offshoot from other high schools like while I was being educated so my freshman year I went to Central and then my sophomore year I went to the new high school and we were it was there were just two grades and then like I was the first graduating class and so just watching that plot line (laughs) on Friday Night Lights I was like it's too close to home. And it's also so incredibly incorrect about any way that this would happen. And also the way that like money gets allocated, but I, it took, it actually took me out of the, the show. And I had a hard time watching those two seasons just because I was like, this is so dumb. Like the worst way to do a soft reboot ever. Like if you wanted to like, just, you don't have to open a new high school, just say it was open the whole time and we didn't worry about it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we got to wrap up because we've been talking for like an hour and a half. But uh, I didn't know that you had such a deep knowledge of first high school sports rules in Texas or <laughs> redistricting problems in education. <laughs> so, Carrie. We can cut that whole part out because that was just my own personal pet Oh, I love it. <laughs> no, we're keeping it in. People need to know how powerful your aura is, Carrie. I, we, I kept trying to steer us away from me. I'm so sorry. You chose this, remember? You incepted it. All right. Ellie, do you want to plug your uh, Etsy store? Yeah, sure. My Etsy store is called Common Prayer. Uh, I don't know if it has a vanity URL because it's not my mainstream of income and I don't do a lot of pruning to it, but I uh, make stuffed BCPs, Books of Common Prayer. I have them in ornament form and like full-size form. Uh, They're not listed right now because I took a break making them, but they will come back. So you can like click on my store, which is Common Prayer at Etsy um, and like get alerts when they're back in stock. They fly off the shelves. I was shocked. Like every time I post about them on Twitter, people like scoop them up which is somewhat stressful, but I really welcome it. It's like a great community. So thank you for the plug. Shout out to all the freaking nerds who are buying BCP <laughs> plushies for the uh, ex-evangelicals in their life. <laughs> for real. I just it's, a niche, of, it's a niche audience. <laughs> I just assume that all of them are Baylor grads. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Brian, uh, Carrie, it was great to be back on the pod farm. Uh, shout out to listeners and shout out to everyone hopefully who is uh, I don't know what the hell is going on in DC while we've been recording this but I've gotten like 50 texts so apparently it's awful so hopefully uh, hopefully Coach Taylor is not up there leading a legion of the free peoples of West Texas to try to bomb the Capitol building or something but it could be even worse because this is an apocalyptic age (laughs) and all takes will be revealed until we get cancelled